0: The American Council of the Blind presents ACB Reports, a monthly news magazine featuring topics of interest to people who are blind or have low vision. I'm Mike Duke. This month, an in-depth look at accessible absentee voting. Welcome to ACB Reports for June, 2020. Shortly before the ACB Legislative Seminar was held near the end of February, the American Council of the Blind, along with its West Virginia affiliate, the Mountain State Council of the Blind, worked together to create legislation that enables blind and visually impaired residents of West Virginia to independently and privately vote absentee. During the seminar, Maggie Hart, Counsel for the Washington Lawyers Committee, and Attorney Jim Beerman discussed this legislation. We begin with Attorney Beerman.
1: And I'm with the law firm of Shepard, Mullen, Richter & Hampton. Uh, We provided pro bono uh, assistance on this case in West Virginia, a case that we thought was going to go to litigation, but that by some grit and a lot of luck, we ended up being able to get a bill through the West Virginia legislature to allow for private, independent voting for individuals who are blind. We're very excited about it. I, when I got on this case, had not really uh, done any work uh, on disability law. I had to rely on Maggie, who's going to tell you a little bit about the actual law behind this case, but uh, I brought something to it, which was a knowledge of politics. So first she'll go over the law, and I'll go over the politics.
2: So my name is Maggie, and I'm from the Washington Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights and Urban Affairs, um, where I do disability rights work. And this was a really great collaboration, and we were happy to work with um, you know ACB as well. What we did was we took a, a look at the status of the law and the right of individuals with disabilities to vote privately and independently, which includes voting privately and independently in the absentee voting process. As I'm sure you know, several states use paper ballots only in their absentee process, which are inaccessible um, for people with various disabilities, including people who are blind or low vision. And so um, we were looking at Title II of the Americans with Disabilities Act, which prohibits public entities from excluding from participation or um, denying the benefits of a public program. Voting is, of course, a public program run by the states, often with federal funding, and so Section 504 would apply too. In West Virginia, in particular, they were using a paper-only absentee voting process for individuals with disabilities. They had a pilot program for uniformed and overseas voters that used a mobile voting app, actually, that had a lot of accessibility features or could be used with an individual's appropriate individualized assistive tech. And so... What we did was Jimmy actually wrote a very eloquent and persuasive (laughs) letter to the Secretary of State explaining the law, explaining the right to a private independent ballot, um, explaining how Title II works and applies, explaining that 504 applies, and advocating for them to expand the use of the mobile voting app for individuals with disabilities in the absentee voting process because the law is on our side and clear and because West Virginia is in the Fourth Circuit where there was case law out of Maryland saying that online ballot marking devices or electronic transmission of the ballot is a reasonable accommodation under the Americans with Disabilities Act. We used those two things as deftly as we could to explain the law and the affirmative obligation to provide accessible absentee voting to individuals with disabilities to the West Virginia Secretary of State and the legislature. That's really it. I think Jimmy can explain a bit more exactly how we did that and who we approached and how it went.
1: So I guess you could say I was a little bit overconfident and a little underconfident. (laughs) I was underconfident because even though we had West Virginia dead to rights on the law, um, I don't trust federal judges. uh, And I thought even with the law being extremely clear, we still only had a 75% chance of winning and it would take a long time with lots of appeals and everything. However, I was overconfident because I thought we had a real opportunity to work with the Secretary of State's office in West Virginia because they appeared, even before we met with them, to be very willing partners. Mac Warner, the Secretary of State uh, in West Virginia, is a West Point grad, and I believe his son was in the military, which is how he piloted this program to use a mobile voting app to allow overseas voters to vote. And in the pilot program, there were a number of military folks and also like Peace Corps folks and people were just overseas who voted. Well, if they could use the app, why couldn't people who were in West Virginia use the app? Maggie helped, uh, wrote a memo that explained all this law. We drew up a complaint. We started finding plaintiffs, which is, is really important to have plaintiffs whose stories uh, make sense. I think my favorite was one individual who basically said to us, I voted for Barack Obama in 2012 in West Virginia. I didn't want anybody to know who I voted for. <laughs> <laughs> so we reached out to the Secretary of State's office And we got really lucky, because they actually listened to us. And we went down to Charleston and met with the General Counsel of the Secretary of State, a guy named Deke Kiersey, who was really great to work with, um, the Deputy Secretary of State, and the Chief Elections Officer. And we sat him down and we said, hey, this is really an opportunity for you. This is an opportunity for you to be at the cutting edge of potentially mobile voting that will help a lot of disabled individuals. And you don't actually have to do something all that new. And they were actually quite um, sympathetic at first to that, and they were looking at a potential lawsuit. And we made clear that if they didn't do something, we were going to sue them, which always helps. We thought that meeting was great, but then, of course, we got back uh, a letter saying essentially that the Secretary of State's office didn't think it had the power to offer this under the current election code. So that's when we got the memo. The memo we wrote to them basically said, well actually you could do this under the current election code and we laid out some reasons. But by the way, if you don't do this under the current election code, you're still gonna get sued and you're still gonna be dead to rights under the (laughs) Americans with Disabilities Act. That worked. They uh, immediately jumped into Overtrive. It was very funny because when we initially met with them they said that they don't usually work on legislation But they jumped into overdrive, wrote some really good legislation, let us have an impact on it. It actually extends uh, this voting option, Uh, originally it was going to be for voters uh, who were blind or had hand dexterity impairments, couldn't use paper, but now it's for anyone who qualifies as disabled under the Americans with Disabilities Act. And then we worked with them to shepherd this through the West Virginia legislature. Again, the real key was having great partners on the ground, but in the end, we ended up having some funny battle lines drawn. Uh, The West Virginia governor is a Republican. Both houses of the legislature are dominated by Republicans, and in the Senate, this bill passed unanimously almost immediately. But then there were folks in the House, some Democrats in the House, who thought that this was some kind of power grab by the Secretary of State. So we explained to them that actually the Secretary of State had written this law because otherwise they were going to get sued. So it was the opposite of a power grab. So that worked as well, and we were able to get it through the House 93 nothing, through the Senate 40 nothing, and then Jim Justice signed this bill. I'm going to kick it back to Maggie here to talk a little bit more about where we might go from here and uh, the state of the law right now.
2: As Jim said... Governor Justice signed this bill into law, Um, an accessible electronic voting option should be available in the primary for voters with disabilities. In the course of doing this, we took a look at the definition of a voter with a disability under West Virginia law, and it was unique and extremely limited. So we did broaden it to all individuals with a physical disability with consistent language with the ADA, which is much further and more broad. Not quite as far as I would love it to go, but we were able to do that in addition to the accessible absentee voting option. The other thing that I think was critical here and will be critical for moving forward with voting rights issues across the country Is those stories on the ground and your local partners? Um, So, our the third kind of partner with us, who was not able to be here today, was Disability Rights West Virginia. So, the protection advocacy organization for West Virginia. They were absolutely essential in moving this bill through from the very beginning, and they helped to collect stories of people um, in West Virginia who would benefit from the use of an accessible ballot option. They also, you know, attended all of these meetings with us and, and worked with the Secretary of State's office to get this through. As I'm sure you know, the p and are an indispensable resource for people across the country, and we were exceedingly lucky to partner with such capable, knowledgeable advocates and attorneys down there. Many states are expanding accessible absentee voting options, and they are also expanding electronic voting options for overseas voters. I think that states that have the option of electronic balloting for overseas voters but not for voters with disabilities are particularly vulnerable on this issue the fact that West Virginia had that app and had used it and had used it successfully and securely was essential for our argument. Um, And so I think if people are interested in looking at this issue in their own state, you know, look at what's available for overseas voters, talk to people in your state, start collecting those stories, connect with local advocates and attorneys and contact Claire and Clark, and they can kind of connect you to me, and I'd be happy to talk strategy with you in detail.
1: So unfortunately, the day the Jim Justice signed this bill into the law was the day of the Iowa caucuses. <laughs> it's a different app. It uses blockchain technology to preserve votes and to create a different thing that cannot be changed and can be used for auditing later. It actually kind of has nothing to do with the Iowa caucus app, Uh, But yes, that is absolutely a challenge. And the challenge we have right now is that there obviously is an extreme amount of concern about election security. Um, I remember when we were first meeting with Jim Dixon talking about this case and he joked to us, he said election security, the original election insecurity was stuffing ballots into a box. So being able to fill out a paper ballot is no help for us and no help for our community. And that, I think, still rings true. And we still will want to make that argument across the state levels. Now, to your point about uh, ballot delivery versus actually voting the ballot on an app, so the original case that we used, this case out of Maryland, in Maryland they have something called an online ballot marking tool. It electronically sends the app to the individual, allows you to use technology to mark the ballot, and then you print it out and have to send it in yourself. Now obviously that presents another additional step that is harder for individuals who wanna vote independently and privately that way. You have to fold up your ballot, you have to have a printer, you have to get a stamp. But the thing is that that remains 100% necessary in the Fourth Circuit under the case law. They can't get around that, and so West Virginia, we think, has a real opportunity to use this mobile voting app situation, but even if security concerns grow too much, there is always a fallback of an electronic ballot marking tool that simply electronically transmits the ballot. So either way, we think that we're expanding access to this type of voting.
2: Thank you so much, Maggie and Jimmy. This has been a great partnership. Um, I also just want to thank the Washington Lawyers Committee. They've worked with ACB for years now on many issues and will continue to do so. Thank you so much to the Washington Lawyers Committee.
0: Maggie Hart and Jim Bierman were recorded during the annual legislative seminar of the American Council of the Blind in February. It's time to register for the 2020 Virtual Conference and Convention of the American Council of the Blind. By registering, you will support ACB special interest affiliates, be recognized as an ACB sponsor, receive the conference program in the format of your choice, participate in live events, and have the opportunity to win door prizes. In addition, your $25 registration fee will help provide quality programming via ACB radio and other platforms. To register online, visit acbconvention.org. To register over the phone, call 612-332-3242 and select Option 5 for Convention. Then leave your name, telephone number, and time zone. Registration closes at 1159 p.m. Eastern Time on June 21st. Register for the 2020 ACB Virtual Conference and Convention and join the American Council of the Blind on the path to our future.
1: From the American Council of the Blind, you're listening to ACB Reports. The COVID-19
0: pandemic has brought a new emphasis to the subject of absentee voting. Clark Rockfall, Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs for the American Council of the Blind, says ACB and its partners are diligently striving to make remote voting accessible for everyone.
3: ACB has been very active in the voting space the necessity of that work has only been amplified by the COVID-19 pandemic. So many people don't feel safe going to the polling location to vote in person, or there have been increased barriers to transportation to get to and from their polling location. So as you mentioned, we just listened to the audio from the legislative seminar where co-counsel representing ACB, as well as in West Virginia, the Mountain State Council of the Blind, worked with the state government to pass a bill into law, SB 94, that required West Virginia to create an accessible electronic alternative to voting by mail with a paper ballot, because many ACB members are unable to read the standard prints of the paper ballot, or it could be difficult for folks to sign on the dotted line on a paper ballot, or even to get to a mailbox to return their paper ballot. This is an issue that has popped up all over the country since the time of the legislative seminar. In late March, early April, ACB led a sign-on letter to Congress, And this letter was joined by over 75 national, state, and local organizations, including over 30 ACB affiliates. This letter had broad support from the cross-disability community, as well as some members of the civil rights community. It was pointing out to Congress, hey, as you're allocating stimulus funds for elections, so that elections can still be held this year and have to be held differently differently, Uh, Be sure to consider accessibility
0: in that process. What's the response been to that? I'd say before
3: that letter, the big push from Congress and by especially Democrats like Senator Wyden from Oregon has been for all elections to move to vote by mail and to have national vote by mail. Um, Since that letter, we've heard that many congressional offices have been reaching out to the Election Assistance Commission, which was created by the Help America Vote Act of 2002, and they've been inquiring about election accessibility. And since then, the language that especially the Democratic offices have been including in their legislation has incorporated more accessibility. And accessibility in terms of how ballots are delivered to voters and how voters may complete the ballot um, however they still call for then printing out the ballot and mailing back the paper ballot and the reason that that is currently what's being proposed is that there's broad concern about election security if folks are allowed to return a ballot electronically So that's one of the biggest hurdles that we're working to clear right
0: now. Coming from Congress, does this cover only federal elections? And and so you've got to go to the individual states to cover the state and local elections. Is that how that works?
3: Like in many cases, Congress controls the purse strings and the dollars that flow from the federal government to the states, Uh, but the states, and in some cases, the counties within the states are tasked with implementing state and federal elections.
0: So conceivably, you could see a federal election in November that was accessible paired with a state election that might not be.
3: There's a possibility of that, um, but I'd say that the chances of that are pretty unlikely because it's the same state officials and county officials who are administering the elections. In most states, it's the, the board of elections and then counties may have board of elections as well. And that would become pretty burdensome for them to implement different systems right and keep track especially when many primaries or general elections your single ballot has multiple sections for federal elections state elections and then local elections i wouldn't envy the state or the county clerk who decides to make only the federal part of their ballot accessible, and then further down on the same ballot as inaccessible elections or referendums. That would be not only pretty callous, but pretty
0: inconsiderate. Is there any indication of when that legislation will be passed?
3: So federal legislation, no. Um, I will add that there was, uh, I think, $400 million allocated in the CARES Act that was passed at the end of March, beginning of April, and that's what spurred our letter to Congress. That money is available for states to use, and there's even frequently asked questions about the federal funds available in the CARES Act on the Election Assistance Commission website, as well as a breakdown of how much money is available in each state. And the federal government has allocated funds earlier in 2020 and 2018 for federal elections as well. Um, The federal government right now is undecided on if or how they will do further stimulus, but we have been making really good headway uh, through ACB affiliates on the state level. So for example, the ACB National along with ACB of New York has filed an ADA complaint at the Department of Justice. That has now The ADA complaint is still being worked on by the Department of Justice, um, but the timeline doesn't look like that'll be completed by the primary, probably late summer, early fall, so in time for the general. But ACBNY and others have now filed a lawsuit in the Southern District of New York requesting preliminary injunction for the June primary. So they are currently negotiating that with the state of New York. ACB has also filed a supplemental complaint in another ADA complaint with the Department of Justice on behalf of voters in Idaho. And a little bit of background there, the Protection and Advocacy Organization, Disability Rights Idaho, had filed a complaint about the availability of accessible voting information in the state. And we worked with them and filed a supplemental complaint highlighting the testimony of two ACB members uh, who had reached out to their county clerks and received inadequate information about opportunities for accessible voting. Basically the options that they provided to our members would not let them vote independently or privately in the primary. So we used that in support of the DRI complaint when filing the supplemental complaint and acb members have been reaching out to the national office from north and south dakota florida the carolinas georgia kentucky uh, indiana iowa michigan new jersey delaware massachusetts so this is a very widespread issue that has garnered a lot of attention from the acb national office as well as the state affiliates
0: Assuming that ACB gets a favorable ruling in New York and in Idaho, does that potentially make it easier to tell the other states, get in line?
3: Absolutely. That's the short answer is absolutely. Um, So a couple months ago, the Department of Justice had a, a ruling on an ADA complaint about the rationing of medical equipment. Some states, were not providing or were limiting care to people with disabilities when treating them for the coronavirus because they figured, well, you're disabled, you're probably going to die anyway, so let's move on to somebody else. And the DOJ came down hard with a ruling against the state of Alabama, and that Alabama ruling was followed by a settlement with the state of Pennsylvania. So they put that marker out there, and other states and health care providers have taken notice. So that's the same sort of thing we're looking for from the department of justice when it comes to absentee voting. Um, you know, we're not here to say that a state must or must not offer absentee voting or vote by mail. What we're saying is all aspects of the voting process must be accessible for people with disabilities to vote privately and independently. And that means all aspects of the voting process, from being able to register, receive your ballot, mark and cast your ballot, and verify your vote.
0: A lot of people who hear this discussion will not be in New York or Idaho. What do people in the other states need to do, short of filing litigation, to encourage their states to get on board with accessible absentee and uh, remote voting or whatever, what are we calling it?
3: Remote or absentee voting. The terms are basically used interchangeably. Between the legislative seminar and here in this conversation today, we've discussed three possible ways to pursue this issue. To work with state legislative members to pass a law if there's not one on the books already or if the the law in the state needs to be changed. We've had a conversation about filing Americans with Disabilities Act, ADA complaints at the Department of Justice, and anyone can do that. You don't need ACB National to do that on your behalf. Um, You can do that as a voter who doesn't believe that your state is allowing you to vote privately and independently. And folks will be able to learn about that more on the Advocacy Update podcast. Uh, And then the third option was litigation. So there's three tactics there. Uh, But the overall strategy is becoming more knowledgeable on this issue, Um, reaching out to your state board of elections and your county clerks to learn about the available methods of voting in your state, to having conversations with your state affiliates to see what work is being done statewide on this issue, and also communicating with the national office to see if we can answer any questions that you may have. And then once you become more knowledgeable about this issue, then it's about networking and communicating what needs to be done with those who can affect the change, right? So state policymakers, as well as your members of Congress and U.S. senators.
0: All the more reason for having a strong local voice that becomes known in the local government circles.
3: You hit the nail right on the head, Mike. More reason to become a local entrusted resource who's knowledgeable on these issues, so that when issues arise, your local community and your elected officials can turn to you for information to understand how these issues impact the broader community. The only other thing that I would say in closing is that voting and being represented and counted are very important. Um, So we did a community event earlier this year on the 2020 census. The 2020 census, which you can complete online or by phone, is so important for accurate representation in federal and state government. So once you have that census complete, then it becomes a matter of registering and making sure that you vote so that your voice and the issues that you care about are
0: heard. You mentioned the ACB advocacy update that you and Claire Stanley produce Remind people what that is and how to hear it.
3: Folks can listen to the ACB Advocacy Update via your favorite podcast player or streaming on ACB Radio. Um, and of course, you can find that on acbradio.org. A new episode comes out every Thursday. Additionally, if there are other events or content that is worthwhile that has been done as community events or in other forums, uh, we may add another uh special episode each week, but we always aim for an episode a week coming out every Thursday. And we try to touch on the timely advocacy work that ACB or our affiliates are doing, as well as highlight the work that our partners are doing in the broader disability community.
0: That was Clark Rockfall, Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs for the American Council of the Blind. You've been listening to ACB Reports, heard on radio information services nationwide and throughout the world on acbradio.org. ACB Reports is produced at Radio Reading Service of Mississippi, a service of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Contact the American Council of the Blind online at acb.org or phone 800-424-8666. Thanks for listening, and please join us again next month for another ACB Reports.